We're back at you. Another episode, another great episode, another humbling episode, another athletic baseball episode. I've always said baseball players are the absolute best athletes in the world. And I have an argument behind this. It started in Argentina before I get into who this episode is brought to you by, but it started in Argentina with some guys from a gun company that I work with called Benelli. They told me that soccer players are the best athletes in the world. And I almost spit out my food and I had to get into what became about a two and a half hour, pretty stern argument, not real like loud, but just, I was very, uh, I was very forward with my statements and I made sure that they understood where I stood. And I want to talk to our guest today about this because it uh, it's something that's always on my mind because a lot of people look at baseball players and they say, you don't need to be in the best shape to be a great baseball player. They might look at Bartolo Colon. They might look at somebody that might have a little bit of a belly, but Bartolo Colon pitched into his mid forties. He was successful into his mid forties. The dude can run miles at a time without stopping. So there's a lot to be said about the best athletes in the world. My guest today is going to help me answer this question to start the podcast it's brought to you by our friends at jack daniels lynchburg tennessee enjoy it responsibly never allow underage drinking jack has been there for myself my crew friends all around the world in all different instances of their life so remember jack daniels the american sour mash whiskey out of the great state of tennessee thank you so much for your support of our tv show our podcast and all of our brands jack daniels our guest today is 2020 world champion from the los angeles dodgers mr walker bueller how are you my man i'm doing good man i like the hoodie you like the hoodie yeah man for sure uh you know your boy caleb gave me that when i was down at spring training right when uh covid broke out yeah no uh, good good dude we're, we're you know waiting to get him back man <laughs> this surgery had yeah, it stinks but he's a big part of our team for sure well talk to me about that walker bueller um He's a, he's on the roster. He la, he plays the entire shortened season with y'all. He's on the roster last year. You guys are positioned to win the World Series straight out of the gate. Um, you have a great team with some additions, but you yourself, I mean, you're a great arm. You have Kershaw, you have Wells, you have Mookie Betts, you have a lot of great young talent on the team. You were part of a college World Series championship team at Vanderbilt, one of the greatest cities on earth in Nashville, which I want to talk about that in a second also. But um, think about that. Put yourself in, in, in Caleb Ferguson's shoes. You're on the team and you win the World Series, but before the World Series starts or the playoffs start, you get sent to the hospital. You yourself have even had Tommy John surgery, Walker Bueller. That's what Caleb had to go through, but he has to sit on the sidelines and watch from a TV. It's almost like a bittersweet feeling. Like, I'm so proud of my guys. My brothers are out there winning for the organization. He's a team player. Don't get me wrong, but do you kind of feel that you'd be like, oh man, I don't know if it really counts or how do you look at that when you're in his position yeah it's a, it's an interesting one obviously you know no one can answer that that for him but uh, you know I think in our game man th these injuries like that happen and and Caleb was having an unbelievable year for us and um really was a huge part of our bullpen so when when he kind of went down it was a it was maybe the only one of the bigger moments of adversity maybe for our team just because those those pieces you can't you can't just find all the time that the big left-hander that can come and get guys out. So, um, you know, I'm sure he was thrilled for us and, and thrilled for himself. He, he was a part of it as, as we've you know kind of said, but um, you know, I'm sure he wants to win one and, and run out of that bullpen himself. And, you know, we certainly intend on, on making that happen. In a repeat fashion, starting in February, when you guys report, which is not very far away, 
do you feel in your heart right now that it's going to get back to normal in spring training in Scottsdale area, Phoenix, Arizona area for 2021? You know, I certainly hope so. Obviously, I'm I'm not a epidemiologist or, or anything like that, not a doctor, but you know, I hope so. Obviously, this this winter will be kind of telling with with kind of what happens and and whatnot. And you know, what if if we could make it work through this this initial surge and so on and so forth, that you know, I think we'll be able to to make it work in some way next year for sure. Is there? Is there pressure on you automatically in that organization with the history, the championships, the, uh, you know, the total culture of Dodgers baseball is really winning, right? It's you guys and the Yankees are on opposite ends of the country, but it's pretty much the same culture. It's you win or the media is on you. The fans are on you. Um, you have Magic Johnson around. You have a great ownership right now, great ownership team and management team. Is the pressure start right away? Do you even get to enjoy a World Series championship? And on top of that, is there added pressure, Walker Bueller, because it wasn't a normal season? And the Dodgers have had their problems, right, lately in the playoffs in a normal 162-game season. I, I'm not trying to take any positive light away from that you guys are world champions, but it is talked about that, hey, it was a shortened season, so is there added pressure now to try to, to recreate that sense of championship, but with a normal length season? Yeah, you know, I, I think so. I, I think there's going to be pressure to win at, at any point. I think if we played five games, I think there's going to be pressure to hold up a trophy, right? But, um, you know, at the end of the day, somebody had to be the 2020 World Series champion, and, and we'd rather be that than not. And so... I don't think that that it's going to take anything away from it. Now, do we want to go win another one? Absolutely. And and I don't think it's because it was a shorter season. I think it's because we want to win and we want to hold up trophies and, um, you know, cement certain guys on our team's legacies. And and I think this one was huge because we, we've all seen Kirsch and, and talked about, he, he's just talked about so negatively in the playoffs. And I think it's kind of so unfounded and unfair and, and for him to, to, you know, whenever he decides to to retire, for him to have a World Series championship is, is something that we've all, you know, wanted and and are super thankful that we were able to to be a part of for him. It's it was amazing to see baseball is an amazing sport, Walker, because of you 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 see so many different adjustments that needed to be made you could be on top of the world and within three three minutes you could feel you could hit a bomb in the top of the first and go out in the bottom of the second and make two errors and just feel like what am i doing out here today right it's a weird game you know like it's 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 so it's so much different the mental approach to baseball which it's always been talked about how much of the game is really physical as compared to mental but when you when you mention somebody like kershaw and even in the even in that game in the middle of the World Series, he comes in there and he gets touched up a little bit. And the first stop by the media, the first stop by the fans is, oh, here we go again. And you guys fight back and you win. And the first person almost that they put the camera on is his look. And, and when you guys win that championship and he was so floored and he was so fired up for, for the team to win and the organization to get a world championship, is he – do you think that he has that on in the back of his mind as great of a picture pitcher as he is, does it get outweighed and outbalanced by that negative postseason reflection that comes with the names, you know, Clayton Kershaw when he's mentioned in the media? Yeah. You know what I think is crazy about it is for a long time, Kersh had to pitch on short rest, pitch too much deeper into games than he probably should have been. And, and I think that's a very, very difficult thing to do. And to be honest with you, I think the numbers, the numbers that he's accumulated, even in the playoffs for the situations that he's, he's been in have, have been 
almost superhuman. I don't think that many people could do what he's done in the playoffs, given the the rest and things like that, that they did for a long time. And, you know, I think it's just kind of a tribute to our team that we were able to accumulate the depth, accumulate the talent that somebody as special as Clayton Kershaw didn't have to do those certain things to, to get, get to where we needed to be. And, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is that he just deserves it. And, and our organization deserved it. We'd been through it in 2017, which I wasn't really a part of. Um, 2018, we just kind of got beat, man. We just, we didn't feel outmatched, but we just got beat. And then to, to kind of cap it off this year, I think, you know, we just, we, it was our time and, and we were able to put, put together a good month and, and play some really good baseball and beat some really good teams. Do you think that spiritually, and I don't, I don't, you don't need to touch on your personal spirituality or Christianity or religion or anything, but being from what the part of the country that you're from, I assume that you are a follower, but I don't, that's not the question. The question is, do you think there was some spiritual thing going on in Los Angeles year this year with the passing of Kobe Bryant and what happened with LeBron and the Lakers? Magic Johnson's a huge part of that organization. Magic has this ownership group over here with the Dodgers now. Magic probably couldn't hit a baseball if you teed up. Maybe he could. Maybe he is. We're going to get into that in a second. But he loves the Dodgers, always has. Do you think you guys had a guiding light in that area of the country this year with with the one of the greatest athletes of our time or of all time, Kobe Bryant, yeah. and, and the accident that happen you know I, I don't know how much i would say we had you know an angel on our shoulder kind of thing but you know i, I do think that that the city going through that kind of tragedy obviously we, we followed kobe i'm from lexington kentucky followed kobe's whole career I, I can't imagine what it was like in los angeles in that heyday right so you know we were out there when when he passed away when that happened we were at our fan fest and you can just feel it you know you can feel the presence of it throughout the city, the murals, the the tributes, things like that. And, you know, I don't want to say that that we're all wearing Kobe Bryant socks and all that stuff, but I, I think it is something that's in the back of your mind, especially for the guys that have been there a long time and had, had gotten to know him a little bit. Um, it, it was definitely a motivational thing. And I think more than anything, it's just kind of crazy to, that that in this year with that happening with COVID that, that both of our teams found a way to, to hold up a trophy. I think it's pretty special. So special. And what, what, and I, and I don't know how, if you were even around the reaction of Tommy, but what it was his reaction. Did you, did you get to talk to him? Did you get to, did, does Lasorda come unglued on something like this? How old is Tommy Lasorda now? And then you also, and then you also have one of the legends of all time broadcasting in any sport and Vin and he wasn't in the seat this year. Can you imagine that? Like, you know, like, was it just last year, the year before he retires? What did you get to talk to those guys? Because you, you understand um, in life, you have these, you have mentors, you have influences, you have inspirations. But as you look at people that are in their 70s, 80s, 90s, I have it myself. Those guys have to acclimate themselves every year to younger and younger gentlemen, right? They, they have the guys like Fernando Valenzuela's decade, and then they have the guys that, that were in there with Kurt Gibson. And then you have the guys that were in there, you know, late in the 90s. And then you have the, the 2000s. And now we're in 2020. Lasorda has been there forever. Vin Scully's been there forever. And they're in their 80s and 90s, and they got to be around Walker Bueller in his mid-20s and be relevant. How do they do that, Walker? How do they stay relevant when, they're, when, they've, when they were back when baseball was being played in black and white? Right. You know, I think, I think it's 
kind of what you're saying in the, in the tall task that that is, right. I think it's just kind of a, a testament to who those people are. I mean, Tommy is around a lot. He wasn't around as much this year, obviously with the, with the situation that we were in, but you know, for him to get up and, and get dressed and come to the field and run through the locker room and, you know, Tommy, Tommy will say some stuff to you that you don't expect to hear from somebody. So, um, he's, he's a special human and, and, you know, every time we get to hang out with him, we obviously cherish and, um, haven't been, I've, I've got to meet Vin a couple times just when they've retired some jerseys and things like that. And, you know, he's, he's as with it as anybody. Hey Walker, how are you? Nice to see you. Um, and you know, he's never called a game that I've been a part of. So, you know, I think he follows us and, and kind of knows what's going on, but you know, I think that's a, another testament to our, our organization is a, a lot of the former players are around. Oral Hershiser was in the booth on, on TV with us now. Um, you know, Don Newcomb, before he passed, was at a, a lot of games and got to talk to him in, in batting practice and pick his brain and, and get to know him and his wife. And, you know, it's just kind of a cool thing when, when an organization can find a way to keep keep people that gave so much to them uh, around and and you know, allow them to be a part of, of our everyday life. Um, you know, I think it's special for them and for us. Yeah. I think it's a, a very well said and you know, you know, there might be a time in your career where trade happens, free agency happens. That happens a lot in today's game. The days of, you know, uh, a George Brett style career of three decades, three different batting titles, the same organization from draft to retirement, first ballot Hall of Famer, those kind of careers. You know, even Griffey, as much as he was loved in Seattle, was, you know, traded away and free free agency got him. And um, it could happen with Walker Bueller, but there's almost like, where does your pride sit? Where do you pick that, the 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 pride of, all right, I'm going to retire at, some players have even went back and wanted to retire in their original uniform. And it just seems like Vin and Tommy and those guys have it so good with that organization being so deeply rooted and still being able to recognize you out of uniform and say, hey, Walker, how you doing? doing when they were doing that with guys that were playing in the seventies. If you think about it, man, that's pretty freaking amazing. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's a testament to our culture, right? That there's not many teams that not many organizations in, in any sport that, that guys say, no, I want to retire in that uniform. You know, there, there's certain ones and kind of the George Brett, the Royals is, is kind of one of the outlier ones. Right. But a lot of people want to retire a Yankee. A lot of people want to retire a Dodger. And, you know, I think, that's a super important thing to me. If I could play the the rest of my career in one uniform, that would be an unbelievable accomplishment. Obviously watching Clayton do that, you know, we hope he never goes anywhere else. Right. I, I would love to play with him the rest of the games that he plays, you know, and, and I think, you know, all of us feel that way. All of us want to play with, with Los Angeles for forever. And, you know, we just enjoy it. You got to take it year by year because this thing changes. We got four or five free agents this year of guys that, have kind of been a part of this core that we've built the past couple, you know, years of success on with Jock and Kike and, and some of these guys. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting game in, in the way that, you know, you don't always get to make every single choice that you want. You know, typically you go to the high school that you go to, but you can go to a private school if you want. You can pick that, right? Then in college, you've got six or eight or 10 or 100 offers or whatever. You get to pick the one you want to go and play for. The Major League Baseball, pro baseball is not like that. Somebody calls your name and and you're theirs. So you got to make the most of it. And, and I think I was just really lucky and, and blessed to 
to be picked by a team that that I that is the quality that we are and and the quality of person people that that run and develop and and help us become you know successful players and and successful men I think I agree 100% and I think that when you mentioned high school Walker Bueller you mentioned college NCAA it could be a junior college it could be D2 it could be D3 D1 if you're if you're good enough to be a standout like you were but you had COVID on top of this. Dodgers had some drama with COVID in the World Series. They, many major league baseball organizations had positive testing all throughout the shortened season and before. I want to start with high school, college, these kids that did not get to play their senior season. Juniors were missing out on that junior year that is so instrumental and, and, and pretty much like influential in, in, in what the college scouts are going to start looking at them or a pro a cross checker might be coming out to check them on the jugs gun or see what they're running the 60 in or what, you know, what if they're a five tool player, college guys, same boat. Back when you were drafted in the first round, I think you were drafted somewhere around the 20th pick of the draft, 23rd pick of the draft. That means you are absolutely one of the best baseball players in the world that year for going into the major league draft. That means out of junior college, high school, and all juniors that are in any type of NCAA Division One, Division Two, or Division Three um, uh, school, right? Because you got to be a junior to be drafted after you sign on with the NCAA. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's the same in basketball and football. I think it might be, but I don't know. You you probably know yeah, the laws I think, more than I, I think do. Basketball is the one exception. They they kind of do the one and done there. You know, there's some there's some small exceptions for us. There's some age rules. So if you're 21 within a couple months of the draft, I think you can go as a sophomore. But for pretty much all of us, it's it's three years of school. So take me back to the day when you're sitting on the couch. I assume mom and dad's there. You got your friends around, girlfriend, if you got one at the time, brothers, sisters. You probably already have a pretty good idea with the agent to call in and saying, hey, the Dodgers are looking at you right here. The Oakland Athletics might be looking at you here. The Red Sox have shown some interest. But you probably have a pretty good idea, right? Yep. So is it it hard for you? Oh, sorry about that. Go ahead, Walker. No, so our draft year was interesting in that way. So – we were playing in a super regional in Champaign, Illinois. We were up one to nothing. So we were playing the game two of the super regional in Champaign. We ended up winning the game. So we're going to Omaha, right? We clinch our, our trip to the College World Series for a second time. We had won the year before. And we're still in uniform on the field. And our shortstop goes number one overall, Dansby Swanson. So before they even go do any, any of the media, before we, you know, we won a super regional. It's a big deal in college. Swanson goes one ESPN's there. We're about to get on the bus. Carson Fulmer, my, my other teammate goes eighth overall to the white Sox. So we've now got two first round picks and an Omaha berth. We all get on the bus. We get home to the hotel in Champaign. We're all sitting in the lobby. I go 24th. So we're all just hanging out there. It was, it was one of the weirdest, wildest days I've ever been a part of. So you know, I think that was a, a huge day for all three of us, obviously. But, but for our program, you know, at, at Vandy, you look you look at that day for us, right? You go to Omaha, defending champions, and you got three first round picks in the first day. I mean, can you imagine just that hotel lobby, the 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 conversation going on? Like that doesn't happen very probably may have never happened before in the history of the game. Huh. Who knows? May have, but so you get drafted twenty fourth. You did. De- your shortstop, which is amazing for a shortstop to go number one overall in the draft. Yep. He goes to Atlanta, correct? 
No, he went to Arizona and they got traded. They a couple got months traded later. to Atlanta. They got traded, which is even weird that like that just shows you like how how quick it could be gone. Like he thinks he's going to go out to Arizona and play in the right. heat, and I guess Atlanta's still hot, but. Um, He's been in some great playoff teams with the Atlanta Braves since. He's yep. a uh, an unbelievable got unbelievable hands. Who's got better hands, him or Crawford? Oh, I don't know. I'd probably have to say him. I think I think Swanson might have Crawford on hair as well. Really, Crawford? Yeah, you know Crawford's is a little bit long for me. It's a little <laughs> long. Swanson's got it pretty good. I actually think he's second on his team to a guy named Charlie Culberson. Yeah. They're like twins. I don't know if you've seen these guys. They look exactly the same. But I played with Charlie as well. I I think he's got Swanson in hair a little bit. And you think that you you think that uh Dansby's got better hands than than Brandon Brandon Crawford, who has got videos out there that are yeah. I mean, I know I know they're both studs, but is it is it equal or does he actually have the edge on actual shortstop hands? You know, I've seen Swanson every day for three years, so it's hard to hard to go with someone else. But, you know, it's interesting. I, I'll tell you, some of the stuff that all of our defensive players in the big leagues can do is one of the it's, – it's the most amazing thing, watching them practice more than anything, just because they don't miss, you know. They, they're so good and so consistent, man. It's, it's hard to even differentiate any of them, to be honest with you. So going 24th, you, you – you come out of Nashville, Vanderbilt. Um, what a great city, right? I mean, you, you've oh, grown up. You're from pretty close to there, but there's not a better city, right? No, no. You know, it's one of those cities that is a college town in parts of it, and then it's a real city, and, and you don't really get that everywhere, right? I grew up in Lexington, which pure college town. I love it. I love still live here, but um, no, Nashville is a special place, and, and especially now it's kind of growing up. It's, it's getting huge now. Did you get recruited by Kentucky? I did a little bit. Yeah, there was, uh, you know, just it's the nature of the beast. There's, there's not that many scholarships to go around and, and Vanderbilt made me an offer that, that I couldn't refuse. And, you know, I don't regret it at all, obviously. How many post post officers or how many tickets do you get a year in Lexington now when the cop pulls you over and gives you a ticket just for not staying there? I don't, I don't think I've even gotten pulled over in the city in a long time. Maybe back knock on wood, kid, knock on wood, buddy. I knock know, on wood. We'll knock on it, but. So you talk about the hands, the athleticism, going first round, three draft picks in the first round, insane athletes, right? I'm going to assume that you and Dansby have probably had some freaking good wars on a ping pong table maybe even a late night bowling alley to where you just are maybe you guys could probably both break 200 so the beginning of this conversation i made mention i had a long talk with caleb and will smith about this i honestly think that the if you had an athlete if you had an olympic style event walker bueller Mm. catch a basketball shoot it dribble a basketball do a layup Catch a football, run a fly pattern, maybe do a handoff and or, um, get in a swimming pool, laps, ping pong, go bowling and bowl the ball down the line. All these athletic events and you took the 10 best players off of or you took the best player off of every major league team, the best player off of every NFL team, NBA team, every swimming league, Olympic team, all of the soccer teams in the world, the best athlete off of that team. 
I think that baseball players win almost every event, if not everyone. And I'm not saying that you're going to get in the swimming pool and outswim Michael Phelps, but I right. think you're going to be able to get into the pool and look like Michael Phelps as far as an athlete being able to do the 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 the, the whatever kind right. of the freestyle stroke or whatever you're doing. Does that make sense to you that baseball players just have this unwilling, like this weird knack of being a great all around athlete? You know what? I, I think I think people get hung up on it, and I think the argument is not that baseball players are the most athletic. What I think is that baseball players typically are extremely coordinated. So take Mookie Betts, for example, who would be our our contestant in uh, in that kind of competition. He's a 300 bold in professional bowling matches and leagues. I mean, he's a he could be on the pro bowling tour. Also about a six handicap golfer. Played ping pong a lot with him. Very, very good ping pong player. I think all these things that are coordination, right? To, to hit a 100-mile-an-hour baseball with a 30-ounce bat, it takes some hand-eye, right? So I think most of our guys are, are extremely coordinated. And on top of that, you look at the position players and some of the stuff, the burst of speed that they have to do to, to chase down balls, the consistency in the in the movements that they do it, it's just a lot of body control and coordination and you know pitchers probably get overlooked a little bit because we're just throwing and that's all we do but I, I think to to do what we do consistently stay healthy at the level that, that a lot of guys can do is is a tribute to what we do off the field and and the ability that we have to kind of contort our bodies to to create all this leverage you know, I think it's a big deal, and, and I'm proud to, to be able to do some of the things that we can do. It's a very political answer, Walker Bueller. In, in so many words, you're saying that baseball players are the best athletes in the world. Hey, I, you know, <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're probably the most coordinated, though. I'll say that for sure. Yeah, I guess that would probably be a better way, and the argument is cool. But, God, it just seems that... I just feel like if you took the best player off of every team that we would smoke... I say we, because I'm a baller, too, not like on your <laughs> level. But I just think that... I. I've played so many different sports with baseball players. It's hard to think that I've been around football players. I've been around basketball players. They just don't, they don't look the same as a baseball player doing these sports and returning a backhand on a ping pong tail, a tennis court, wherever we're at. It just, it just is always when when the guys in Argentina told me that soccer players were the best athletes. I was like, are you serious? Yes. They could outrun me stamina wise and they can dribble a ball and they have strong legs. I promise you a lot of them become most of the, you know, the, the place kickers in the NFL, but they're not going to outdo all of these athletic events against the best baseball players in the world. I mean, Trout hit a golf ball over the mountain like Uncle Rico did. Um, yep. Mookie Betts is bowling 300. I've seen Buster Posey play ping pong, and as a catcher, he's got unbelievable eye-hand coordination. But to yep. hit a round object with a round object, changing planes from 60 feet, 6 inches away that could be going upwards of 100 miles an hour down to 75 miles an hour with the same arm motion with a freaking circle change-up, which is the hardest pitch to hit in baseball in my opinion uh, you I know agree. for most people it's almost impossible to think that you could go up there and face a 98 mile an hour fastball then the next pitch is coming at you at 78 with the same arm action it just takes a special person to do that and that's why if you do it three out of ten times you're considered an all-star because right. it's impossible to do it consistently i mean not right. impossible but it's tough to be very consistent at it right listen man i've I've tried to hit against guys that that throw like myself or, you know, even better than I do. It's, 
I think it's damn near impossible. I, I can't believe that they do a three out of 10. I can't believe they do a two out of 10. I think I'm about a career point seven hitter. I mean, terrible, but no, it's, it's one of those things, man, you just do it forever. And, and these things slow down. And, and I think that talking about the mental side of it, the, the ability to kind of slow everything down is, is something that people don't talk about much, but I think it's probably one of the biggest things in our game. I love when you talk about the ability to slow the game down, because that right there is the secret to separating the major leaguers from even the triple A's to the double A's to the single A's to the rookie ball, to the D one ball, to the Cape Cod league, to the Alaskan wooden bat league. When you watch somebody that gets it and can slow the game down and put it on that level of, I don't care who's on the mound today. I don't care if I'm a lefty facing a lefty that can bite me off one way out on the, you know, outer half of the plate. I'm going to let the ball get deep. I'm going to hit the ball where it's pitched. Slowing the game down like that is so much easier than done, right? Like I can sit there and go, oh, I could watch video on Walker and go, all right, I'm going to get on the on deck circle. I'm going to see him live for a second. Then I'm going to step in the box. And, and the next thing you know, you're like, I didn't even have time to react to that. I got my hands back and I was ready to get some separation with my, with my front side. And then all of a sudden I hear the catcher's glove pop and I face major leaguers. I've been in camp. I've been around guys that have gotten in cages and throwing maybe 70%. And I'm like, I would strike out every freaking time I got in the box and I played D one baseball. And I mean, (laughs) probably an overachiever at D one at UNLV, but I see these guys today and getting in the box against them. I'm like, how in the world? It just seems like taking a handoff and running through the two, hole is easier i know you're going to get punished but i just think that the actual athletic ability to hit a baseball with consistency and not not to overlook what you do to 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 come off of that bump and to place your pitches and to keep your arm in shape and then to be consistently throwing strikes and not putting runners on base or in scoring position i mean that is an athletic freaking deal man the best pitchers in the game are athletes all of them are athletes right no i you know, there's some guys that are obviously freak athletically, like purely gifted athletes, like Glass now from the Rays. I've met him. He's six eight, easily six eight. Looking up at what's up, man? I'm Walker. Hey, <laughs> and there people are trying to tell me he can do a standing backflip. I'm like, well, was his parents gymnasts? No, he just he's a freak. Like, all right, cool. Wow. Like. You just hear stuff like that, you know, of certain guys that are that are just different, and that's a cool part of our game, man. We they come in all kind of shapes and sizes and and whatever. So you get some of these guys that are just just different. Well, give me what makes you that word. What makes Walker Bueller different? If you were going into a job interview with the ownership of the LA Dodgers and you didn't get drafted, but you were trying to sell yourself as a first round yeah. draft pick, let's say that that's how the draft happened. What right. separates you? Tell me your pitches. Tell me your competitive edge. Are do you um do you have a lot of like pregame activity that isn't normal? Are you one of those weirdos that has to touch a certain part of your ear before every put? Are you very superstitious at all, Walker? How do you sell me as the owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers to draft you 24th overall? I've never seen you play. What makes you different as a, as a baseball player? You know what? I, I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, I've learned this more as I've been in the big leagues longer is that I don't think, I think my biggest strength is that I'm just not afraid to fail really. You know, I, I think I've failed in some, some really big spots in my career and, and 
then I seem to find a way to kind of go on a run where, where I'm better than I have been before. And, you know, I, I just think at this point I'm not scared of it. And I think I was less scared of it back then than I thought I was, you know, I think you're, Oh, I don't want to fail. I don't want to let everyone down. You know, I, I have let everyone down before. And I think that, that if you can bounce back from that, you learn a lot about yourself. And, and I think that's the biggest strength in, in what I do these days. Oh, I like it. So it becomes down to the word that Michael Jordan made so famous that he could never become a champion or know how to win until he failed. Right. Okay. So now I look at you and I say, okay, you're not afraid. I'll put you out there on the bump on opening day. What are you going to show me? What do you have that's different? What makes you one of the top pitchers in the game right now? Nobody knew this when you were, I mean, you were a stud coming out of Andy, but now you got this, you got God-given stuff in the major leagues. Tell me about what separates your physical ability and your pitches. Yeah, I think the, I think the surgery part was huge for me because I think, yeah, your ligament is a part of it, right? Like Tommy John, like if your ligament's bad, you just, you can't throw right, right? So I think in college I learned how to work and then like I learned how to get in the weight room, right? And Oh, I, I need to be stronger. I want to be stronger. I think in pro ball and especially in my rehab, I learned how to be stronger for exactly what I needed to do and what I wanted to do. So I learned like, oh, this doesn't really work for me. This stuff's super important. Learn how to create a routine that's not just something that you're writing down or showing a coach, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I think it's about living that routine and knowing that that's what you need to be doing. So I think for me, it's that that's the biggest thing. And, and I think that's, I had my surgery and, and all my stuff got better. My fastball got harder. My slider got better. My curveball got harder. All these things happen, but I don't think, I think the ligament is part of it. I also think the work that working smarter and working more efficiently, I, I think has been the biggest thing for me now. When I watch you pitch, I consider you a five pitch pitcher. I don't know if I'm right about that, but I see a fastball, a slider, a curveball, a cut fastball, and a changeup. Am I wrong on that? Or do I got you, no changeup. You have no, no changeup change up. at all? Uh-uh. So that was the one thing. Before surgery, I had a pretty good changeup. And as you know, playing, like this is the move on a changeup. Yep. When I got my surgery, my elbow doesn't extend exactly the same way. So I can't get there anymore. So I think last year, 2019, I think I threw 12 changeups all year. So it's just not, it's just not in there anymore, but that's okay. It's, you know, it's something we can always try and figure out a, a different way or a new way, but yeah, it's basically four seam, occasional two seam cutter, slider, curveball. I'll, I'll end up throwing two or three different slider variations just based on count what I'm trying to do with it. If I want the ball, if I'm trying to strike a guy out, there's a certain slider that you want to throw, right? The one that's, a strike a long time and then goes down. But if you want the one trying to get the ball on the ground, you kind of want to decelerate it, maybe create a little bit more horizontal just to try and get a, get the bat to touch it. And, you know, I think that's stuff that you kind of pick up over the years, but, you know, definitely, I think probably my biggest strength is just spinning the ball, whether it's with my fastball or, or making it go left. And w when you say your fastball got harder, what are you consistently at right now? Um, uh, man, I want to say my average this year was in 96 and a half, 96.8, something like that. Topping off at so, what? Uh, I threw my best fastball of my career this year at 100.8. So I finally got a one-on-one up there. Where were you? 
we're in Arizona. Now I will say I'm going to have to be a little humble about it. There was about 25 mile an hour winds coming in behind me in the dome. They had opened up the dome. First time I'd ever seen them do it. And so it was howling in there. So my, the ball was flying out of there, but it officially was 100.8. So that was my best ball of my career. 100.8 from the right side. Is it moving at all? Is this, when you throw it that hard, does it even have time to move? No, that was a two seamer. It ran, it ran a little bit. I don't know. I don't know what most people throw the two seamer slower, but I think when I was talking about the changeup, because my arm doesn't really roll over, I think I keep the same, keep the same velocity just about on my two seamer as I do on my four. So it kind of sounds like you're the real life version of what was the movie? Was it rookie of the year? What was the, what, what was the movie when the <laughs> yeah, kids? It is. No, he breaks his arm, <laughs> breaks his arm and comes back stronger. When you come out yeah. of Vanderbilt, you're a huge baseball fan. You can't be where you're at in life without growing up a huge fan of the game. Right. Is it safe to assume that you idolize Kershaw? Um, were you a fan of watching him or was it kind of like a new thing to you when you get, when you come into the organization and you become friends with him, does he take you under his, cause now it looks like you guys are best buds. You've got pictures drinking a beer after the world series win. You guys are buddies, right? So yeah. how, did, how, how does it happen? Did you come in there like starstruck and he goes, Hey kid, relax a minute and just be my friend. Or how does it all go down coming out of Nashville? You know, it, it takes a minute, man, because. Yeah, first off, you go through the minor leagues and, and things like that. And, and I was fortunate enough to get to the major leagues before I ever went to big league camp. So I was in minor league camp in 2017, getting ready for my first full year. I had a great year. Just I, very lucky. I started in high, I ended up in the big leagues in September and kind of met him really for the first time there. And, you know, not a lot really happens. You're just kind of, you're the new guy, the young guy that's just kind of there and you want to try and shut up. but you also don't want to just get walked all over. Right. So, you know, I, I, we weren't, nothing really happens. Right. So then the next year in the off season, I fly down to Dallas, a strength coach was like, Hey, we want you to go work out with Kirsch for a day. Like we kind of want you to see what it's all about. I'm like, cool. Great. So I go to his house, workout crushes me. I'm like almost throwing up everywhere. And he's like, all right. So we warmed up like, <laughs> I'm like Oh God. So we get done, we eat, we hang out, I fly home. 2018, I end up getting called up when I have a pretty decent year. And and throughout that year, we kind of have some more conversations. And, you know, he and I do things really differently. He's very, very, very routine-based and very, very everything by the book. And and this is what I do, and I'm not going to stray from this. And I'm more fly by the seat. That year, I didn't even scout. I just kind of let our catcher, who had been there for a long time, Yasmani Grandal, let him – tell me what I needed to do and, and I'll, I'm not going to shake you off. So that was all good. And then 2019, I started off struggling and, and was pretty, pretty bad. So kind of went to him and, Hey, teach me how to do this scouting stuff. man. so I started doing that. And, you know, I think just as, as time goes on and, and you're successful, but I think with him, it's more about being consistent and being who you are and being what, you know, what got you there and, and I think he kind of understood like, oh, it, it may come off like he's just kind of throwing shit at the wall. But I think he kind of realized that I kind of know what I'm doing. And, and I think we've kind of grown to to appreciate having each other around now. So back to the workout in Dallas, was this to show you or to get you to understand what it takes to get to that level? Because they already knew because he's kind of like got that Alex Gordon, if you will, mystique of go try to work out with Gordo and you're going to throw up for about a week after, you know? Yeah, very similar. I, you know, obviously he's getting 
you know, he's had some injuries and things like that. So it, it, he and I didn't really do a whole lot of the same exact things, but you know, before, when I go play catch, I grab a ball and a glove and walk out there and play catch. And he's got us in there running around and doing sprints and stretching and all this stuff that I just, you know, honestly, had never been, you know, I've been told that that's what you're supposed to do, but when you're young and, and stupid and dumb, you just go and, well, I can throw a ball. Like I'm a pitcher. So I obviously don't need to do all this stuff. I just need to throw. And then you go and see, you know, one of the greatest of all time doing it every single day in the middle of the off season when he's making 32 million a year, it's hard to hard to kind of think that that's not the, the way you need to go. And, and I think that's what everyone wanted. And, and I certainly got that out of it. Do you ever sense, do you ever sense, um, the money part of baseball, because it is talked about a lot, right? The cap, the, the amount that the Dodgers, a club like the Yankees are able to spend in, you know, whether it's free agency or their overall roster and what their payroll is, I look at it as a business. If the Yankees are a business and they've built that empire and they have more money, well, it's just like any other area in the world, right? The the people that work the hardest and make the, you know, d- develop the best brand or business are probably going to, but it doesn't mean they're going to win every game. You made a right. mention of Kershaw making $32 million a year and still being the hardest worker in the room. Does it ever, does it ever floor you? to understand the humility of most people. Now there are, there is some arrogance in athletics. There's no doubt about it, but the more I'm around guys like you, the guys that I've been fortunate enough to hang out with, whether it was in the duck blind or hunting camp or wherever, I see so much humility Walker. And then you talk about a guy like that, that literally probably never has to work another day in his life, but he pushes himself to that point. Every time he works out, doesn't that floor you about the, like the human spirit and what it takes to get there and more importantly, stay there. Yeah. You know, I think specifically in our game, there's, there are guys and I've played with a few of them that they, they feel like they've earned that money, right? They, you know, in our, in our game, it takes a little minute to get to that point because obviously we're making an awesome living, but there's a lot of guys that play two or three years that, that do have to work, right? You do have to work post-baseball. Now you get to a point like Clayton, that's a different animal, but you know, there's some guys that get to that point and they feel that they've earned it, right? They've earned every dollar that they got and they, they certainly have. I think Kirsch is one of those guys that believes that every day he has to keep earning that contract and and it's guaranteed that money's his, right. But he has to live up to it. And I think that's the two ways that guys look at it. And it, it can be difficult to, to kind of be on the right side of that. But, but Clayton is definitely one of those people that every day, you know, that he knows what's invested in him and, and what he has to live up to. What it, do you have expectations internally with you and the way you were brought up are you mom and dad brought you up in a way that you are going to respect that dollar because it takes a lot to raise a family your livelihood creating revenue whether you're an entrepreneur or a janitor at a high school you take pride in what you do Um, you're very fortunate you get to play a kid's game and make millions of dollars but you're talented and your work ethic is there. That's what the, the things that I, that I always want to put out front is that 
I was given the ability to be where Walker is too. I just wasn't freaking good enough. That's all there is to it. So he worked harder. He was given a God-given ability. He was given a different skill set, whatever it was. There's a lot of right-handed people in the world, way more than there are lefties like me. A lot of those right-handed people don't make millions of dollars throwing a baseball in the major leagues. You had to have something special and a drive. And on top of that, Walker Buehler, there's a lot of kids male and female that throw a baseball right-handed that start Little League at five or six years old that don't get to make millions of dollars doing it. It takes something special. So is your work ethic or your ability to get to that level, you say that you're more fly by the seat of your pants and not so much in a routine as you, you are now back in the day. What was it? Was it your dad always being on you? Did you Were you very disciplined as a kid? Were you allowed to go drink a beer and party at the bonfire in high school? Or was your dad like mine? Yeah. And he's like, you better be home at 9 p.m. And you're not going to say a cuss word around your mom. Oh, I mean, it was very disciplined right. in my household. How was it growing up? And how did you get to this point if you really weren't, didn't, weren't on a routine? Yeah, my, you know, my childhood was kind of different. My, my parents split when I was three. So my dad was in Cincinnati most of my life. Um, he's out in L.A. now through Denver. So he was in Denver four years and then LA, but yeah, you know, I was kind of allowed to do, do high school in Kentucky stuff and, and go to the bonfire and drink a couple beers. And, you know, we were definitely a little bit different in that way, but, you know, I think for me, the, the fly by the seat of the pants stuff, honestly, has always been a little bit of, of the insecurity element of it. If you look at me in a mirror, man, I don't look like a guy that's supposed to go pitch in the big leagues, right? I'm a little bit smaller, a little bit leaner. Um, you know, I'm smaller than basically everyone that I play with. Right. So for me, always that insecurity has been like, well, if I made it here, there's obviously something going on. Right. And, um, I always just felt like if I put in less into the game, right. That if I failed, I wouldn't feel like I had lost so much, you know, you know, some guys take it so hard because, you know, they put in hours and hours and hours and hours and hours for that one day and it doesn't go well. It's tough to swallow, right? You feel like that's all been wasted in, in some way. And for me, I just wanted to learn how to like, I wanted to not feel that shitty when things didn't go my way. And, and I think that's kind of where all that came from. And, and I think I found a nice balance of, I know what I need to get done. I know how to get that done, but I'm not going to live and die by every pitch after I'm done, I'll live and die by it while I'm out there, but I'm not going to live and die the rest next week trying to worry about, Oh, I just got beat. Everyone's looking at me, right? That That's a real feeling that happens. If you don't throw well in a major league locker room, you feel like 24 guys are staring at you. They're not. Cause I don't stare at the guy. He has a bad start. I'm like, all right, well, we got another one. We got 30 of these things, but trying to find a way to mentally be able to to process that failure, I think is such a huge deal. And, you know, everyone does it differently. And that was just kind of my way of doing it. So if you do, God forbid, go out tomorrow and get in a skateboarding accident when you're rolling down Lexington <laughs> Avenue and trying to Ollie and your agent calls you and calls you every name in the book because now you're done. You tore your rotator cuff, you broke, you broke right, your collarbone and you, and you tore your labrum, you're out. Yeah. What are you doing come spring training? What's your new job of choice? You know, I, I got to finish this degree, man. I still got, still got a couple semesters. I, you know, I always said I would do the law school thing. I think that that was something that kind of always interests me. My mom's an attorney, so I was kind of always interested in that. But, you know, I don't know, man. I, I, I love to coach. I love to deal with, you know, kids and, 
and try and help kids improve. I also told our, uh, my pitching coach at Vandy that he had 15 years. The day I got drafted, I said, you got 15 years left and then it's my job. So <laughs> I don't know, something like that. You I, like the I, coaching I, part I, of it, huh? I do. I, I think that's how I play. I think I play as if I'm being coached, you know, I, I try and coach myself through everything. That's kind of, everybody talks about your internal dialogue, right. And, and the things you tell yourself and, you know, some guys tell themselves, Oh, you suck. Some guys tell themselves, Oh, you're the man. I just kind of coach myself. So, you know, I think that's something that, that I might be able to be all right at. Last year I got to go to the Derby and the Oaks at Churchill Downs. I got to, I got to sit in a really cool box and I got to experience things that I never thought I'd ever get to experience. It was amazing to see the atmosphere. Obviously the Kentucky Derby was different this year, but last year I, I was like, man, this is so cool. I got to dress up like you see on TV. I got to see all the girls and their fancy hats. You are uh, uh, an owner and a horse. You have a huge passion for horses. You wouldn't become, you wouldn't go into that circle. Are you, are you a horse guy? Are you a rodeo guy? Are you a ranch farm guy? Or did you just one day wake up and say, Oh, I'm, I'm into horse racing. Cause I grew up around it in the state of Kentucky. No, you know, I, I I don't think I woke up. I think it's something that's kind of ingrained here. It's a big part. Six, you know, six weeks in the spring, six weeks in the fall, they're running at Keeneland. And, you know, we've always gone out there a lot. So I remember reading books about betting and stuff like that when I was a kid, 10, 11 years old, maybe, you know, reading some, some handicapping books. And, and I kind of got the bug early, man. I remember I was probably 11 or 12. Grandfather took me out there, kind of rare, you know, rainy day did a little 10 cents super effective cash it for about 450 bucks. And, and, you know, you're kind of hooked at that point and, and, you know, was lucky to, to meet some guys involved in it. And, and there's this new website called my Racehorse that I, I think is going to be awesome for the sport of horse racing because they're doing micro shares. Right. So I, I own some micro shares and authentic. So I own about three hairs, I think of that horse, but you know, it's still, it's a different deal when you can watch a horse that you can say you own win a big race and, and we got to do that twice this year with the with the derby and the breeders cup classic are you a, a fanatic to where you know a lot about the game on a daily basis like you know who you know is going to be up for the triple crown every year are you, oh, you, yeah. you so you're into it that much you're oh, i was yeah. the, i had the winning ticket i have pictures in my studio of me and my buddy tom with the winning ticket last year and if you remember that was the heavy rain and the horse got yeah. the winner got disqualified yeah, maximum security yeah, maximum security yeah you know what hold on let me grab something for you i'll show you this i gotta turn this light on anyway oh the mood lighting you set was perfect walker i uh, know it's just too much i gotta show you this thing so you know what this is yeah this is what the horse wears it's called yeah. a halter yes mac no way did you get that last year after the Derby? No, I got it this year. Bob Baffert's a buddy of mine and gave it to me. The trainer, the the blonde trainer with the sunglasses yeah. that they show the him. Hair. He's been showing he's been showing more in horse racing than the horses. That dude know, is the, the wizard. wizard, isn't he? That's my guy. Really? Oh yeah, I stayed it when we went to LA this year. I, you know, with COVID, I lost my lease or whatever, got out of my lease, and I stayed in his pool house for about ten days trying to find a new lease. Wow, how cool is that? Yeah. Good guy, huh? Yeah, he's funny, man. 
So give me give me your uh, your playlist, Walker Bueller. You, uh, I, what, what are you listening to when you're working out? What are you listening to when you're driving to the field? Ooh. And are you a country guy, but you turn on Metallica and Guns N' Roses, but you're not afraid to hit some Eminem and Ice Cube being down there by Compton? Uh, do you, are you yeah. an all-around music guy or give it to me? Yeah, I, big all-around guy. You know, I think... I think there's a little mood for everything. I got a little country playlist. I'm big into the, into the new Luke Combs stuff. And, um, you know, for, for game kind of stuff, I'm big into like five finger death punch. Um, I used to walk out to Avenge Sevenfold. I walk out to, uh, Rage Against the Machine now. So kind of that old, a little bit old school, like rock stuff. Um, yeah, and then I, you know, I don't really necessarily listen to like the very popular rap stuff, but there's some rap stuff. I'm weird with music though, man. I'll, I'll get four to six songs probably, and listen to them in the same order every day for months. So I, I think this year, I looked at it the other day. I think this year I put four songs on my on my Spotify. That's crazy because I love music too, Walker, but like I'll get on a kick to where if I know that I have this many miles to drive in my truck, I know that it's, I get on this like routine of the same four songs and you know, I'm on that Siri deal where I just ask her to play it. And yeah. you know the one I'm on right now, and you're gonna love this. I hope you love this. Being born and bred where you're bre- born and bred where you sit right now. Yeah, I listen to Chris Knight like it's going out of style. And if really? you ha- if you don't and you haven't, with him being from Kentucky, he just did a, his second podcast with me. We just aired it this last week or so. But to hear his songs and the way that he writes them and his lyrics, I'm just I'm hooked right now. Have you listened yeah, to a I'll lot of Chris Knight? I don't think so. I'll give that a go, though. The big, the Kentucky guy I know of, I listen to a little bit of Sturgill Simpson here and there. Uh, a couple of his songs I'm big in. I know he's a Kentucky guy. There's some talent around here, man. If you get, when we get off this, download Chris Knight. I'll text it to you, but it's okay. K-N-I-G-H-T, and he's got about six albums that I promise you you're going to, if you like Sturgill, if you're a Sturgill yeah. kind of guy that, uh, and, and, and Luke Combs, he's a huge influence of Luke Combs, I guarantee it. Cool. So, um, okay, so if you're listening to some music and you do have the opportunity to celebrate or have a, an a, adult beverage, are uh-huh. you a, are you a wine guy ever? Are you a hard alcohol cocktail guy ever? Are you mainly a cold beer guy? Um, trying to find the best way to explain this. I'm more of a, I'll subtract a few things. I don't really do tequila. A couple tequilas I like definitely bourbon of the dark stuff but there's also some scotch that i don't drink rum that's kind of a hard no but i mean you know everybody talks about your daily driver right the car you drive to work and then you got your for me it's bud light's kind of the daily driver of of my you know alcohol diet um but i'll dive into bourbon's probably number two and red wine's probably number three so being from Kentucky, would you, if I said, I want to send you a bottle of my new foul life edition, Jack Daniels that I just done. With I saw the, did, that. Would I you, might give that a go. Would you take a taste of that? If I send you a bottle? Yeah, I don't mind a, a Jack Daniels here and there. Um, you know, it doesn't say bourbon, so it is not where I am from, but you know, neither is Bud Light and I've grown to really enjoy that. So I'd, I'd give it a go. So when you talk about bourbons, um, I got a really cool commemorative bottle of Woodford Reserve when I was at the Derby last year with the horses yeah. on it. Yeah. Is that one of your favorites? Is that a mainstay at your bar if, you, if you're if you around your mm-hmm. home bar? Or what are the good bourbons in Kentucky? Is Jim Beam yeah. the best? Is what, what what are the top ones? Well, I want to show you this real quick because this 
as you said, little Woodford. There it this is. This is a cool thing they did Look for at that. me. So they put a little picture of me in, in one of the games on there. You know, I uh, I do like Woodford. Buffalo Trace is probably the the my favorite of that kind of grouping. Um, I like Michter's a lot. Not many people really know about that, but Michter's is up there on my list. Never heard of it. Is um, that out of Kentucky too? Yeah. So have you ever seen the show Billions? No. Okay. It was, it was a big part of that show, but yeah, Michter's is a pretty solid one. Um, you know, there's not that many bad ones, man. They, they're all pretty good to me, but, um, those are probably my two favorites right now. And then Weller, Weller's always up there for me as well. So take it a step further now and you got to pair it with some of your favorite meals. Are you a sit down and love to eat really top in sushi in Long Beach or Seal Beach or Manhattan okay. Beach? Or not, are you a steak and potato guy from Kentucky? Yeah, I, the only way I can phrase it is I eat nothing that swims. So I don't eat shrimp. I don't eat lobster. I don't eat fish. I don't eat oyster. Nothing. If it if it kind of grows up in the water, I don't really have a taste for it. It's kind of a weird deal. Wow, Walker, you wouldn't even eat a halibut or a walleye. Uh uh-uh. uh, nothing, what? man. I I'm weird. My parents told me that one time I sat down. I was like six or seven. I ate a giant plate of catfish. And I have never eaten it, never enjoyed it since. Well, what about things that fly? Will you eat a pheasant or a duck? Yeah, you know, I've I've definitely dove into those. I'm a lot closer to to really enjoying those. I do love a dove. Um, tried some duck stuff that I really do like. Um, it's just tough, man. You don't grow up. So I, I didn't grow up hunting. My family doesn't really hunt. So I kind of got into the game late. So I've probably been only duck hunting for four, probably four or five years now, but kind of been one of those things my fiance's brother really got me into it so we're developing that i do like elk i've had some really good elk that i like um you know what's weird is i would really really like to hunt a buffalo or a bison i don't know if you can even do that anymore but because i know that i love eating those so i would like to go shoot one and, and bring it home and put it in the freezer but um it seems like they got all those out of there a long time ago no, you can still go bison hunting in states like North Dakota, Montana. They, 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 you could go do one. I, I could even yeah. help you out with the right caliber of rifle for it too. But yeah, I agree, bison's. I like bison steaks and tenderloin. I, I'm yeah. not a real big bison burger guy, but you made a reference earlier. Either. What's that? I'm not either. I do like. I do make some chili, just a normal chili recipe with some bison that I like a lot. I'd much rather have beef when it comes to ground beef. I'm just I'm going to talk to you off off camera about uh, this little beef deal we got going on. I'll, I'm going to send you some of that as well. But you made reference to a movie line earlier when you were coming out of Vandy. They made you an offer you couldn't refuse. Do you know the movie? I feel like that's in a lot of movies, but I got none of them off. The There's top a of main my head. one. There's a main one. If you Google no, that, if you Google that, I would think that it would come up Don Corleone in the original Godfather from 1972. Mm, yeah. I think yeah, Marlon Brando made you an offer you can't refuse. Um, are you a Dwayne Johnson rock, Kevin Hart kind of uh, action comedy? Are you more of a super bad Vince Vaughn, uh, Wedding Crashers type of comedy? Because that, like when I think of a movie that I want to sit down and watch right now, I want Vince Vaughn and and somebody making me laugh. And what, I think Wedding Crashers is the funniest movie of all time. And I think super bad is right there. Are you in agreement with that? Because you come from Hollywood right now. That's where you, your career is lived out. You're living like the storybook career. You're around all of, the movie stars even come to watch you pitch Walker bueller um what kind of movie guy are you yeah the the vince vaughn stuff is probably more up my alley i'm big 
I mean, it's weird to say. I'm a big Matthew McConaughey guy, Leonardo DiCaprio, kind of, kind of all the ones that all the women like. I tend to like, but <laughs> um, no, you know, I, I watch a lot of stuff, man. But not the, uh, not the big action comedies. Those aren't really, aren't really my thing. Do you like The Rock? And now I'm not saying that you know him, but you see him on Instagram. You see him um, yeah. in, 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 in what he does in life. He's very successful. Very successful, and he's got a work ethic. He's the hardest worker in the room. He says that. He's got endorsement deals. He owns his own tequila now. He owns Seven Bucks Production. He's just started the what the the, the XFL again in the football arena. What is your opinion of Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, as far as a real – is he real? What is the – I have, like, this weird thing, Walker. Like, I don't know. Like, is he he's always seems to, like, be promoting something. I don't know how to take it. I don't know how you look at it. Like, is he a big-time talent? How is he doing what he is doing is the question I guess I'm trying to ask. Listen, my thing is this. If you're, if you're on, the, on the thing as owner, right, if it's yours – you promote it as much as you want. Now, is he using influence on some other things? For sure. But if somebody came to you and said, hey, we'll give you whatever they would give The Rock, and you've got to do this on your Instagram, 98% of people would do it. You know what I mean? So I, I don't blame anyone for doing that stuff. You try and not do too much of it or, or stuff that you kind of don't believe in yourself. But I mean, the guy, you look at his Instagram, the guy puts in the time and the effort to kind of look the way he looks and, and the, have the confidence to, to act the way he acts. And, you know, I, I got nothing, nothing but respect for people that, that kind of make something of themselves. I love it. And it's never given. And right. I often hear people talk about that part of our society. Um, in your life, you have people that are paid to critique you. You have people that are paid to bring you down. Let's take a guy that was just on this podcast, Carson Wentz, um, up in Philadelphia, quarterback for the Eagles. He's taken it on the chin all year by even his guys that were his friends in the media before, local media guys, right? Um, right. How do you respond to that? And what would your advice be if I asked you to come speak to my up-and-comer class you're gonna have yeah. you're gonna have to put up with haters and critiques someday in your life, right. especially in today's world of social media. I could get on there and say something about The Rock, and if you go on there, there's people that actually hate on Dwayne Johnson. I look right. at Dwayne Johnson as this superhero kind of dude of like, man, you were just another WWF guy, and you have built right. this freaking empire, which is unbelievable. But he has all of these people that are going you know, you, you, you sell out, you do this, you do that. And I'm like, how, where does the negativity come from? How do you, how would you come in and speak on that and teach my up and comers class? And even myself, Walker Bueller, how to deal with it. Cause you've already said, you don't, you don't really wear it on the chin. You go to the next day. You don't let it sit with you very long. Does it right. ever get to you though? If somebody says something bad about Walker Bueller? Yeah, I think, I think I'm one of those people that I have to let it right. I, I think for me, it's a, it's a, I try and take everything in the good, bad, the ugly. When I'm good, I do read everything. I, I want to hear that because it, it's not hard or it's not easy to, to be good in the big leagues. Right. And there, you deserve to, to embrace that a little bit. And, and some guys want to just shy away from the positive because, Oh, I should be doing this. I don't need the praise for it. But for me, I want to read it all. When I'm good, I read everything. When I'm bad, I read everything and, and try and find out who I am, right. You, you kind of, some people will say things a certain way and, and 
you know what, if you're one of those people that can handle that, like I believe that I am where I read the negative stuff and I feel different the next day, I may be more motivated, but I, I'm also more motivated when I hear the positive stuff too. So, you know, I think you just got to learn what kind of drives you in that way and, and test, you know, test it out. See what happens. If, if you read a bunch of good stuff about yourself the night before, and then go in there and you got no motivation, then you're probably not built to read all the positive stuff, you know? But if you go in there and you read all the negative shit and the next day you're sad and don't want to lift or don't want to get better, then probably shouldn't read anything. But for me, I'm just one of those people that I want to hear it all because I trust in the way that my brain can process it and, and turn it into something that I can use. Do you ever want to respond to the negativity? Yeah, you want to, but it's not worth it at some point. You know, you watch when guys do it and everybody gets a laugh, but, you know, you say the right thing or you say the wrong thing and, and it's for sure not worth it. Even when you say the right thing, I think a lot of times it's not worth it. Who's the number one challenge in your mind right now if you had to pick one major league hitter to pitch against? Not to prove a point, but to challenge Walker Bueller. Can I get this man out? Yeah, I get one at bat again. I get I get one. He gets one a b against me. Who is it? Is there somebody that stands out that you just want to go after? Yeah, I think uh, I think right now it has to be Swanson. Obviously, the the easy stuff is to say Trout or guys like that. And Freddie Freeman, I think, is probably the toughest left handed hitter I've faced. I think right now the guys that kind of have me a little bit are Cole Calhoun and Dansby Swanson because Swanson got three hits off me in the playoff game. And I kind of talked about it. I said he might need to get one a little bit closer to his face. <laughs> I don't want to hit him, but I think he's a little comfortable up there knowing kind of who I am and, and knowing a little bit too much about me. Did he text you after that game? No, we won, so he wouldn't have texted me. Are you still friends with him? I will be. <laughs> so, wow, did I pinch a nerve right there? Did no, I touch no, a nerve? No, it's, I just I don't like giving off hits to my friends. It's no fun. How many times have you gotten him out though? Since you guys both got to the show, um, he's done well off me. I've gotten him out a decent amount of times, but his average is above that three for ten line. So, you know, he's hitting better off me than he is off the rest of the league. So I don't like that. Okay, in history, I know our time's coming to an end. Who's the guy that you want to face that you uh, did, like that you'll never you. get to face? Junior. Yeah, I grew up in Lexington, man. He was a red. He, he was, was a red he for was a man. No, he was a red for a while. He was the man growing up around here. What a sweet swing. Oof. God, when he turned that hat back, turn that hat around backwards and get in the cage or home run derby, you're just like, just like the the Nike symbol, like of Jordan flying from the free throw, yeah. and then the one of Griffey swinging the bat on on Griffey's shoes. Like it's so perfect yeah. of of who yeah. he was. Yeah, he, my dad got to play against him in high school. My dad said he was on the bench, but he saw him hit a ball about 480 feet off of some barn and never forget it. No way. With an aluminum bat for sure, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a bomb. So where do we go from here, Walker? Where do we go? What do, we wake up tomorrow morning. Are you hot and heavy at it already again? Are you on the ropes? Are you jump roping? Are you, are you doing some uh, heart rate training, interval training? Are you dieting yeah, we'll and nutrition be- right now? No, I never diet. Dieting's not kind of, that's not part of my deal. But no, we're, I'm back throwing, so I'll throw tomorrow and then lift tomorrow and, and maybe play some golf and 
try and enjoy a little downtime and you know how it is. Are you, uh, are you of the mindset that less is more when it comes to this time of year, as far um, as staying away from no, the game as much as possible? Yeah, I have been in the past. Um, I've probably taken a little bit too much time in the past just to, you know, it's easy to say, oh, my body needs a break and whatnot, but we didn't play as many games and, and I kind of want to ride the way I was feeling at the end of the year out and, and kind of push it into next year. So, you know, this year I took about 10 days. I usually take about a month. So we're, we're back on it already. This is my last question. I truly appreciate your time. Congratulations on a great start to a Hall of Fame career. I'm seeing it. <laughs> Some more world championships. I have a nephew that's 17. He's going into his senior season. He's a stud, center fielder, leadoff hitter. He can run. He's got a hose. Has a pretty good baseball IQ. Yeah. Good, ba- good base runner, good contact hitter. Doesn't hit for a lot of power right now. What do you do when you come into a high school right now? What would you say to these kids that have the dreams of sitting where you're sitting right now in that dugout, winning a World Series, being a starter on a major league roster? I know that it takes a ton of work, but is there some simple piece of advice or something that's outside of the box that you could tell my nephew and his teammates to to get ready for that part of their life? Yeah, you know, I think think one of the biggest things I learned that kind of – the simplest phrase, right. That meant the most to me, I think is if you want to, like, if you want to throw fast, throw fast. If you want to hit it far, hit it far. It's funny. It's like the whole, like go hard thing, but truly for me, it's been if like, if I want to throw hard on the mound, like I need to learn how to throw harder more all the time. And I think for me, it all led to the weight room and, and things like that. But I mean, if you're a kid and if you're not, if you're watching today's baseball and you're not, realizing that if you don't throw 96 like it's going to be hard to get to the big leagues if you can't hit home runs it's going to be hard to get to the big leagues those are what is rewarded now so train that way train to be able to do those things you know so take your your advice would be to swing up on the ball if he's a position player yeah just go learn how to hit the ball far man go hit it hard go learn how to do it guys learn how to do it in the big leagues so why not know how to do it before? You know, I think don't don't listen to what the guy that doesn't know doesn't know the new game is talking about. Listen to the young guys. Listen to listen to what your eyes are telling you, you know? I love it. I love it. All right. Well, look at those dates I sent you. You need to come out. I got I have to see if you can shoot a shotgun, you know, this whole eye hand coordination talk that we had. Huh? No, we'll be all right. Huh, buddy? We got to we'll see it. Right. We got to see if some mallard setting in over the decoys gets your adrenaline going so much, Walker Bueller, that, uh, you, I love it, that you swing and miss. Man, bro, no, I, I appreciate it. you. Congratulations on the world championship. Absolutely, man. We'll holler at you later. That's Walker Bueller, Los Angeles Dodgers. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't for Everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm Chad Belding. We will be back at you with another episode. Only, well, that's what I think. I don't believe heaven has a bank Make good use of your time on earth And don't make a dollar bill all this world Cause I'd rather be poor living on